to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we confess that you are sovereign Lord. And we rejoice that you have given us true truth in Scripture, that we can read and we can know truth about about you, about eternal life, about ourselves, about our true state, about our world and how to live life. Lord, we pray that you would do your work here this morning. We pray that you would move in our midst, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that we would be attentive to your word, that we would be attentive to your spirit, that we would be responsive, that we would be sensitive to his moving, to his leading. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so, Lord, we, we look to you to, to build. We look to you to do your work here. These are your people, and this is your place, and this is your word, and this is your time. So we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. Have your way, Lord. The things that distract us that are in our minds, that vie for our affections or our attention. Pray that we would set those aside, Lord, and that we would do business with you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Sounds like it's going to be a regular psalm. It's going to be a a normal uh, praiseworthy uh, or a, a praising psalm where the psalmist is is uh, lifting up his heart to the Lord. He's rejoicing in the fact that he gets to know God. Things are great, and he loves Sunday mornings because he get to, gets to be together. And and well, not Sunday mornings is a different time, but he loves being with believers. He loves being in the congregation, right? And he he, he blows it in the second verse. But as for me. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He says this great truth, God is good and deals graciously with His people, and it wasn't working for me. Something something was wrong. I was about to trip. There was something lacking. There was something missing. And and what was it? And so this morning as as we look at our psalm, I want us to talk about what that problem is. And we, we often hear the question, okay, Christian, if God is good and he's all powerful, then why do bad things happen to good people? Right? We hear that question quite a bit. It comes up quite a bit in conversation. It, sometimes it probably even comes up in your own mind, right? And you wrestle through how to, how to answer that question. That's a, that's a pretty common question, but our question today is going to be a problem in reverse, It's going to be that same question, but it's in reverse. When good things happen to bad people, that can be equally disturbing. When good things happen to bad people, if God is good and he's sovereign, why do good things happen to bad people? So we're going to take a look here in our first first couple of verses, verses 3 through 5, he talks about wicked prosperity. Wicked prosperity. Look at what he says here. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So we have the arrogant and... uh, 
and uh, their pro- their prosperity and they're, they're wicked and like it's not a good picture. It's it's a it's a dark picture and he's he's envious of them and and going after them. He says for they have no pangs until death, right? It's like smooth sailing for these people. He's looking at them and he's thinking I'm struggling all the time. These guys have it easy. Things are going really well for these people. No pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, right? And you're thinking, ha, there's a bad point for them. But being fat in this culture meant you had plenty to eat, right? So it was a good thing, right? It was a sign, right, of of success, of prosperity, that you had enough that you could put a little extra on your plate and you could eat the best foods and and you could have a, a body that wasn't wasn't scrawny, right? But you could be full and, and, and healthy and, and fat and sleek, as he says here. It's a good thing for them. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Right? He, he looks at these people and he says, everything is smooth sailing for these guys. I don't know how they do it, but I'm over here struggling. Regular people go through struggles in life, and it seems like these people have got it made They've got it made. They're prosperous and they're successful despite being arrogant, despite being wicked. They're healthy. They bear the signs of wealth in their body. Things are going really well for these people. Trouble even seems to leave them alone. Just the everyday trouble of life seems to skip these people. Kind of goes by them. And when the wicked prosper and seem to experience only the best that this life has to offer, their resulting arrogance can be astounding. Resulting arrogance, and there's quite a bit here, verses 6 through 12. He, he goes on quite a while talking about the, the arrogance that they have, right? Pride is their necklace. necklace. Violence covers them as a garment, right? They, pride is their necklace. That's, a, that's an interesting picture. They're winning at life, and they want you to know it. They wear it around their neck for all to see. And they're making it happen, thank you very much. They didn't need that God that you, that you pray to. They didn't need luck. They just made it happen. And they are succeeding in life. And they kind of want to rub your nose in it. They take credit for their own successes, for their accomplishments, for their good fortune. And they may be fools, but it really seems like it's working out for them. They even become bullies to those people around them. Look at verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They're the masters of the universe. They're the the kings here. They're the ones who are making this stuff happen. They're they're the ones who really run the show. They own this town. Right? you You better step in line or you better get out of the way. They're on a real power trip. They're It's amazing what these people are doing. They speak with malice. They threaten oppression. And they aren't afraid of any repercussions from from mankind. And they aren't afraid of any repercussions from God himself. They set their mouths against the heavens. They will say what they want to about God. They don't fear anything from him. I've seen seen videos of, of people debating a Christian and an atheist debating with one another. And, and I've seen one or two where the, an atheist gets to the point where he says, okay, I'll tell you what, if God is real, he can strike me with lightning right now. You know, like that's a big threat, you know. God's going to strike him with lightning, right? 
No, God's not going to strike him. God's merciful to him and doesn't strike him again. And he doesn't care. He thinks that is another sign that God isn't paying attention or there is no God. He didn't strike me, right? They're arrogant. I I love the the turn of phrase there when he says their tongues strut through the earth. I wonder what that looks like. (laughs) I got a picture in my mind, but it's funny, right? And that's the way they are. That's, That's the way these people are. They have the world by the tail. They have the world by the tail. I think, I think the worst part of it is not those things. The worst is found in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, his people, God's people, God's people, therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault. Even believers are tripped up in this. Even believers look and they see and they say, man, they're really making it happen. It's really going well for them. They must be on to something. Maybe I can learn from them. As people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And this is the real dark part of this issue, is the doubt that is put in Asaph's mind and the doubt that is put in other believers' minds as they think about There is a holy God. He's all-powerful. And yet these people are ruling the day. These people are making it happen. I wonder what's up. I wonder if I misunderstand something. Maybe, Maybe God really doesn't care all that much about our personal ethics. Maybe He doesn't really care all that much about how we do business. Or maybe maybe He's not concerned about those sort of things. Because look at these people. They're really making it happen. And they're ignoring God entirely. And so God's people are tripped up by this. And I think that's the most painful, the most dangerous part of this whole thing is what it does to us. Because this isn't a psalm about what happens out there. It's a psalm about what happens to us when that happens out there. And so as we go through this, I want us to think about our own heart in this issue. I want us to think about how what's happening out there is affecting us in here, is affecting us in our own hearts. Asaph's faith was being weakened and and God's people's faith was being weakened at the same time. God somehow becomes less in their minds because these people succeed against God. How can that be? The prosperity of the wicked and the arrogance before God that results doesn't happen in a vacuum. In fact, God's children can begin to be lured in to a similar lifestyle because of their own unmet desire. Point C is unmet desire. And that's not out there. That's in here. That's what we have. Unmet desire. Look at 13 through 15. This is his response as he's observed this situation. He's thought about it, right? He's kind of molded over in his mind. And look at, look at 13, 14 to 15. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Why do I fight so much? to try and obey God and look at these guys and their success. Apparently my fight is in vain. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. These are are thoughts of betrayal of God's kingdom. These These are treasonous type thoughts. And they're real thoughts that he's really having. He's really wondering whether it has been all worth it. 
Why do I go to church every Sunday? Why do I even take the time? Why do I bother? And the Bible study I go to doesn't seem to be helping. My next door neighbor is doing better in life than I am. He does none of that stuff. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. As believers, we face hardships just like everybody else around us does. And actually on top of that, we also face certain kinds of pain and suffering that are unique to the children of God. Did you know that? That we've actually been singled out and selected for additional pain and suffering. I, I'm not sure you knew that when you signed up, when you, when you, you know, walked the aisle or when you prayed to receive Christ or when you responded to the altar call. I didn't know that, had no idea. And yet no one else suffers conviction of sin like believers do. Everyone has a conscience, a conscience. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. Everyone has a conscience. But only Christians have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them in the most vulnerable place, convicting of sin. So that pain that you experience when you've sinned and God really puts his finger on it is unique to the believer. Unbelievers are not the ones who are called heirs with Christ. But nor are they, like Christians, called to suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Called to suffer with him so that we can be glorified with him. That, that's what we signed up for. We didn't know it, probably. That probably wasn't part of the, you know, the, the pitch, the evangelism, the, when the guy was sharing the fourth, four spiritual laws or whatever. This is the fifth spiritual law. By the way, you're signing up for pain and suffering so that you can be glorified with Christ. And we didn't know that, right? They, they, they left that part out, right? So believers have a special relationship with pain that is unique to us because of the work that God is doing in us. It's a unique thing. And the psalmist was so beaten down by these apparent injustices that he was thinking some pretty dangerous thoughts. He started to lower God in his estimation. And they would have gotten him in trouble had he said them out loud. Treasonous thoughts, right? He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I know I shouldn't talk. I know I shouldn't think this, and I certainly shouldn't say it. But when I thought how to understand, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. It was in the sanctuary of God that the psalmist finally came to his senses. When he thought about the truth and reality of who God is, all of this problem started to make sense to him. No longer was he envious of the wicked and their successes despite thumbing their noses toward God. Instead, he began to think about the destiny of the wicked or the wicked's end. And you English teachers are cringing in your seat, but that's point number two, the wicked's end. Look at their present destruction. Their present destruction. So the wicked's end. What is the wicked's end? What's their end? Where are they headed? What's their destiny? What's gonna, what's, what will become of them? Well, first of all, present destruction. Look at verses 18 and 19. This is where it gets very interesting. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. The wicked may feel secure, and they may appear to us to be secure where they are. 
because nothing bad has happened to them in the past. But the truth of the matter is they are on a slippery path and it's fraught with peril. The picture in my mind is, is of someone hiking in icy, rocky, windy weather on the mountains high up, just about to slip, just about to slip right, right on the edge but they feel comfortable. It's like a kid running up to the edge and looking over a cliff. Oh, and the parents are freaking out because they're just about to die, right? And that's the situation. They're standing on the edge and they don't even know it, these people. They're actually on slippery places. God may even be working against them to bring them to eventual ruin in this life. They may be firmly rooted. They may be doing very well. Things may be going perfectly for them and have gone perfectly for them up to this point. There's no guarantee that will continue. God may actually be working directly against them to set them up for destruction, even in this life. Their position is a fright, frightening one. And though they feel secure, they're actually entirely insecure. And they could fall at any second. You feel that? At any second. They're, they're right on the edge. Right on the edge. And they don't even know it. We, uh, when we lived in Russia... There, there was an ice storm, and this would happen occasionally. And and I I drove to the to the school where I worked, and and parked this vehicle. It's a four wheel drive, nice vehicle, good tires, everything else. And parked it on a little bit of a slope in front of the building, and that that was where you parked. It was kind of right up, you know, in front of the building. There it was uh, in front of the wall, in front of the building. And I parked it a good ways back, and I made sure that it was all set, not slippery, you know, not sliding or anything like that. I got out and closed the door. Everything's good. It's nice and set. Go inside. Half an hour later, someone comes in and says, Brennan, can you move your, your truck away from the wall? It's parked right against the wall. What are you doing that? It had slid down and it was resting right against the wall. Right? I'm just glad no one was in the way when that happened because it was a sidewalk. <laughs> and I thought, I didn't park there. I parked it where it was secure, right? It felt good. It felt just fine. It wasn't slipping. I was watching. It wasn't moving. It wasn't going anywhere. And then it started moving. And then it slammed into the building. And that's how the... Uh, these guys are, are, are in their life right now. It's not moving right now. Things aren't going downhill yet. Looks just fine. Give it time. Give it time and they'll be, they'll be slammed up against the building also. Even when it may seem like some people are impervious to disaster despite their opposition to God, they often meet destruction in this present life. And even if they don't meet destruction in this present life, they still have to face a certain future judgment. A certain future judgment. Verse 20. I love the way he worded this. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's almost like the Lord's sleeping right now. He's not, but he's not really active. And when he becomes active, there's a certain judgment. We look at it now and we think that person really deserves to get what's coming to him. But God is merciful and he's withholding that judgment and he's withholding that judgment and he's withholding that judgment that this person might have opportunity to repent, that this person might have opportunity to turn towards God and he withholds it and he withholds it and he withholds it. That's not a sign of his weakness. That's not a sign that things are out of control. That's a sign of his mercy. That he loves that much. That he would allow this to continue mercifully. 
until the time when he will bring judgment. They will answer before God. Their life will become like a dream when one awakes. Man, things were great, and then I woke up, and it all disappeared, evaporated. When God rouses himself to action against them, he will give them just exactly what they deserve. And Matthew 8 says that that is to be thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a scary thought. That should scare us. That should be uncomfortable for us. And Jesus said it was true. There can be nothing worse than that. In light of the destruction and the judgment that unbelievers face, the psalmist's desire for their brand of prosperity proved to be entirely misplaced. So we're going to look at his misplaced desire. Look at verses 21 and 22. Misplaced desire. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. I didn't understand it at all. I didn't know a thing. I wasn't thinking straight. He's been acting like a mindless animal. That's true. I, God is real. Judgment is real. What was I thinking? I got sucked into it. And that's what he was doing. He'd gotten sucked in. He'd been acting like a mindless animal. He had misplaced his desires. He'd taken his desires and put them on the wrong thing. And they'd become powerful and they had grown And they were misplaced. Instead of wanting those things that are temporary at best and destructive, he should have been wanting God. He should have been seeking after God. He should have been pursuing Him. So much for the bleak destiny of the wicked. They prosper now. And they think that God doesn't have anything to say to them. They think that God doesn't have any judgment that He will give to them. What's God going to do anyway? Is He going to strike me with lightning? No, right? So they ignore him. But he will bring judgment. God is just. And the fact that he withholds that justice until a future time does not mean that he is unjust. It means he's merciful. And then there will come a time when he will execute that justice. And in clear contrast to that, looking at the wicked's end, let's look at the believer's end. The believer's end. And this is how he finishes it out. Look at the believer's end. First of all, present help. Present help. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. We get to be in God's presence. This is the end. This is the destiny of the believer. To be in God's presence. Nevertheless, I am with you. Almost always in Scripture, it says God is with us. And he turns it around here. I am with God. I'm allowed into his presence. I get to be with him. I get to enjoy him. God even holds my hand. He holds my hand in the midst of these difficult times. I get to be in his presence. He holds my hand and takes care of me. And he guides me. And he counsels me. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. 
Believers don't have to face the difficulties of this life without aid. God gives his children very present help with his presence, his comfort, and his guidance. More than that, though, there's future glory. Future glory. Look at the second half of 24 there. And afterward, when all this is done, when I have gotten to be with you and you've held my hand through life and you've guided me, you've counseled me in life, when all that is done afterward, 24, the second half, you will receive me to glory. Help in this life and future glory. We're starting to see a picture here. We're starting to see a a strong, sharp contrast between the end of the wicked and the end of the believer. Present help through all of these difficulties. It doesn't say God removes the difficulties. I pointed out a couple of a couple of instances where actually the the trouble, the pain, the suffering is intensified because you are a believer. But God is right there with you, holding your hand, giving you counsel, comforting you with his presence. And then in the future, glory. Glory with him when the pain of this life, when the loss, when the suffering, when the hurt, when the weakness, the frailty of body, the people turning on you, the any disaster that might happen to you, when that's all done and you're comforted perfectly in his presence. That's what he offers. That's the end, the end of the believer, future glory. The fact is, God's help isn't temporary and it's not fleeting. It's eternal. It starts now and it continues forever. The fact is that the believer is not on a slippery path from which we might slip at any second and go over the cliff. We're in a firm place and a secure place and a secure place in the here and now and in the future. This is the position God has put us in. This is the end of the believer. And though Christians will see trouble and pain in this life, we have God's comfort and we have God's guidance in the present and his eternal comfort when we pass on. What an amazing position we find ourselves in. Amazing position. And it puts this whole problem in a whole new light. We can think about it in a very different way. Christians are the beneficiaries of God's incomparable present and future help. And the reality of that truth leads the believer past their misplaced desires to one desire. One desire. And that desire is holy and true. We come to uh, what's one of the most beautiful passages. I kind of want to finish just by working our our way through this. Starting in verse 25. How do we deal with this? How do we understand? Whom have I in heaven but you? This reminds me of Peter's answer to the Lord Jesus after Jesus had taught some pretty hard things and a bunch of the disciples had left. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, well, you guys want to leave too? What did Peter say? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What are we going to go take it easy somewhere? Go listen to some teaching that we enjoy. You're the one whose words are eternal life. We'll stay right here. Is there someplace better out there? Is there a better offer? What these guys are experiencing, what Asaph was seeing, I have no idea who these people were, but Asaph was seeing these people and the success they had in life. Do you think they have something better than what what we just talked about? Of course they don't. 
There is nothing better out there. The pleasures that they experience are fleeting. They're passing. They're destructive. And they will lead to their destruction. In the here and now, likely, and certainly in the future. Why would we want that? Why would we want that? Is there someone else who can guide us through the impossible difficulties of this life and then guarantee you eternal life of comfort in the future? No, there is no such offer. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Do we think we're going to find some trinket or some pleasure or some relationship or some magical, mystical experience that will do for us all that God will do? Of course the answer is no. There is nothing to compete. There is nothing to compare. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. See, we're all sitting here together. And it's easy for us to think clearly about this situation right now because we are all together. And we're not seeing those things that we might be tempted by. We're not being, uh, we're not comparing ourselves. We're not comparing our situations. We're not comparing our pain with their lack of pain. We're all here together and it's easy to do, right? And so we're all, you know, thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. I need to remind myself of that, right? This is easy. This isn't actually all that tough, right? Because we're sitting next to Christians. We're sitting in here and we're focused on this and we're thinking clearly. We're thinking clearly about this. But we won't always be in here. I'm going to pray and be done in a few minutes. And we're going to go out there. And we might make it all the way until 5 o'clock tonight. I don't know. Tomorrow morning. Before the temptation really hits. Before the comparison really starts. But it's going to happen. And he says, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I may get out there and be tempted by that. And I may forget everything that we talked about in here. I may forget all the notes I wrote. I may forget what passage we talked about. Forget about it entirely. Because that guy's not suffering. And he's a, a no goodnik. And I'm suffering all the time and I'm trying to follow the Lord. Something's not right. My flesh and my heart may fail. And in that time, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the offer we have in God. He will help us even in that time, even in that difficulty, even in that moment. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And the psalmist said about himself that his feet had almost slipped But God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will do it. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he continues that same thought. For me, it is good to be near God. This is how the Christian defines good. What's a valuable thing, Christian? What's a good thing? What's a desirable thing, Christian? To be near God. That's prosperity. That's the kind of prosperity I want. To be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Temptation is a very real thing. And when we go out 
and we begin to face temptation again. When we go out and we begin to begin to compare again with our neighbor and we begin to think, woe is me because of these reasons, right? And we start to compare and we start to get in a bad spot. That's temptation. Make the Lord God your refuge. The way Jesus said it was abide in me. Stay there continually. You know what an abode is? It's your house, right? It's where you live. It's where you always are. Abide in Jesus. Stay there. Stay there. Always be there. Always be found there. Abide in Jesus. I've made the Lord God my refuge. He will guard you himself. And you reminding yourself of his wonderful behavior toward us is also a guard. The things we're talking about now, you feel strong right now. You feel like, oh man, why would I even care about that? Yeah, my sufferings are no big. God is helping me through my sufferings. Yeah, they're painful and they're real, but God is right here and he's helping me, right? You're thinking those things now and later on when you stop thinking those things and you start thinking the other things, remember God himself. For me, it is good to be near God. Let's move on to application. I have, a, I have a few points of application I want to get to here. And the first one is probably the, maybe the simplest. It's about envy and comparison. Envy and comparison. You see, Asaph started off strongly. He spent about the first half of this psalm talking about the good stuff the other guys had. And that's what he was focusing on. And that's what happens to us when we compare. Right When I look at so-and-so's job and I think, boy, he's got a cushy, you know, or wow, look at the, look at the success this guy's enjoying. And man, this, everything seems to go right for that guy. When I start comparing that and I start thinking about, man, not everything goes right for me and, and uh, you know, my situation is not quite as wonderful as his. It's because of comparison very often that that happens. A while back, actually, I, I looked it up. It was February 1st. I'm sure you'd have that right on top of your mind right now. What we, I could take a poll of what we spoke on February 1st, right? It was Ephesians chapter 5. The first few verses in there, Ephesians chapter 5. And we were looking in there. It was talking about uh, the way we talk, right? It was, it was talking about uh, envy, jealousy, kind of the way we treat people that way. It was also talking about sexual immorality and about impurity and those sorts of things. And it was all in there about coveting. And what was the solution in that passage? I'm sure you know right off the top of your head. Thankfulness. Let's be thankful for what God has given us instead. Take our eyes off of what this guy has or what the suffering he gets to skip because I'm always suffering and, and I just don't have the stuff that he has. Take, take my eyes off of that and the comparison and be thankful for where God has me, what he is doing in my life. Because God, who really knows what is good and really has the power to bring about what he believes and knows to be really good in my life, has caused these things to happen to me. Can you argue with that? Well, in here we can't argue with that. But when, when the temptation comes to look over the neighbor's fence at his you know, fancy such and such or whatever, I want you to remember, be thankful for what God has given you. God, who knows what he's doing, has arranged things in your life a certain way. And some of those ways are difficult right now. But God is the strength of your heart. He's your portion forever. Thankfulness. 
Let's give thanks to God for the way that he's taken care of us, what he's done for us. So that's the first point of application. Second, some of you are looking around, hopefully not around like right here, and seeing these other people who are wicked and succeeding, you know, magnificently in life. (laughs) If they're in here, let me know because I'd like to have that conversation. But I hope they're not in here. But you're looking around and you're seeing in life people who in no way honor God. And yet you see that they have certain things that you'd like to have or they get to skip that suffering and you wish you knew how they did that. Because that would sure be nice. It would sure be nice to avoid the pain. Money. Maybe they've got the money that you would like or a spouse or, or children. Maybe they've got the respect of others. Maybe they've got a nice house or a successful business or, or whatever. And in moments of weakness, if you're honest with yourself, you begin to doubt really the goodness of God because, you know, why, why, why isn't God giving me that good stuff? For some of you, life just really stinks right now and is very hard. That's a reality. You look around and you see the ease with which other people live, even people who don't love Jesus at all. And you struggle with that and that weighs. And you wonder why why that ease can't be yours also. Some of you just want it better. You're not really envious of sinners or anyone in particular. You just you just have a general discontentment with the way things are in your life. There's something lacking. There's just something missing. Why can't things be easier for you? Why do you have to go through such difficulty? Why do you have to, to wander through that all the time? Why can't you just have a little, uh, just a little more success in your life? Or maybe even just find reliable work. That would be great. Why can't you find a good spouse? Or, or why can't you have children maybe? You're disappointed with life because the ideal in your head is better, you think, than the reality that God has given you. That ideal that you have in your head, you think is better than the reality that God has given you. Some of us are stuck in those various places. How do we deal with that? Well, I have a couple of answers from this passage. The first answer is for the Christian who's going through those things, struggling through those. Let me invite you into the sanctuary of God so that you might discern what is true and of utmost importance. Christian, you are continually in God's presence. That's huge. He holds your hand throughout life. He guides you with his counsel. And afterward, he will receive you into glory. Whom do you have in heaven but him? And what else do you desire on earth besides him? Anything? Can anything compare? Christian, your flesh and your heart may fail in this. But God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. All the good you need is to be near God. Make him your refuge. What's my answer for the non-Christian from this passage? Someone who is kind of on the outside looking in maybe. 
It doesn't really have the kind of faith in the God of the Bible like we're talking about. And this sounds a little foreign or, or it's a little, a little odd. You're, you're kind of on the outside of this. The message here is different for you. No matter how great you may or may not have it in this life, you are in a treacherous position. Your feet are in a slippery place. And you may, may not be slipping yet. But it is slippery. It is treacherous. You're standing in a slippery place. You're on the verge of slipping and falling into ruin at any time. Terrors are lurking to sleep to sweep you away. This is dark stuff. You say, God's never done anything to me. I mean, I've given God plenty of chances to discipline me or to to strike me. Or I've even said, God, strike me with lightning if you're real or, or whatever. God's never done anything to me. But this psalm says to you that the Lord will rouse himself in due time. When he's done being merciful with you, he will rouse himself in due time. And the time of your destruction will come before you know it. And that feels heavy. And it is heavy. And it should be. But it doesn't have to end that way. It doesn't have to end that way. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. If you're here and and, and you're not a believer and you're just checking this out or or maybe you're you're a regular here but you just kind of keep yourself on the outside or or, uh, maybe you don't really know or whatever... God offers himself to you. It, it, is, it is my job. It is the Christian's job. And it is the work of Scripture and the Holy Spirit to point out to you, person who's not a believer, that you are in a slippery place. And it is not hatred or it is not anger or it is not some sense of superiority that would cause us to say that. It's just that it is true. And we long to see you in a firm place. We long to see you in a place where you can be prosperous with the kind of prosperity that comes from being with God, from knowing Him. That's why we tell you this. And that's why I end with this this morning. Because it feels so good. It is so comforting in life. It is such an assurance to have the kind of presence of God with us. The guidance, the comfort, Him holding our hand, and the future that he's taking us to. And it is such a sharp contrast with the slippery, dangerous, treacherous, dark, destructive path. Any second you could be there, and it's eternal. But God offers you that security. He offers you his own presence. He offers for you to be near God and for that to be your good also in the person of Jesus. And so that's why I want to give you this opportunity sitting right where you are as I'm, as I'm closing in prayer. I want you to talk to the Lord and I want you to just confess that you are on that slippery place and you don't want to be. You want God as your good instead. Your sin is a, a big debt that you owe. The penalty is huge and God sent Jesus to pay for it. And if you will accept his payment of that, if you will trust in him, turn from your sin and toward God. He will save you and that goodness of God will be yours. That presence of God will be yours. That firm place that we find ourselves in, that protection, that comfort, that joy can be yours. 
And so I, even as I close in prayer right now, if, if you're sitting out there and, and that's you and you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity to get to know him. This is your opportunity to put your feet on a firm place. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for that offer in Jesus. I thank you that you have made known to me and now to us the slippery place what it means to be outside of the family of God, what, what it means to be outside of the faith and not know you. And though I felt secure, I was in a dangerous spot. And once upon a time, a, a Christian told me that I was in, in danger. I thank you for that Christian. Lord, this morning, as, as there are probably some here who don't know you, who are on the outside, who are on that slippery place, and they think, yeah, but I've got good cleats, or, or uh, no, it's not really slippery. Look, my feet are firm, or whatever. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction by your Holy Spirit, and that you would convict them concerning judgment to come, that they would see that there is an offer in Jesus for salvation, a way to be made right, a way to be made whole, a way to be made secure in Christ, that they could have you as their good. I pray, Lord, that you would draw those people, even this morning, to yourself. I pray that you would do so even right now, that they would trust in you. Lord, we long to see our dear ones come to know you in that way. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do that. Lord, we trust you and we thank you and we praise you that even though we may suffer in this life, and we will, and even though there is pain in this life, that we have you to comfort and to guide and to hold our hands through all of that. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.